Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Do you remember the movie Hackers? It first came out in 1995, and back then, the internet was still pretty unfamiliar, which is partly why movie buffs consider Hackers to be ahead of its time, the godfather of its genre, inspiring other movies and TV shows that explore this dark underworld of hackers and cyber warfare. Hidden beneath the world we know is the world they inhabit. The movie stars a young Angelina Jolie and Johnny Lee Miller, and it opens with Miller's character, a teenager named Dade, sparking a financial crisis from his bedroom by hacking and crashing 1,500 computers on Wall Street. Over the course of the film, Dade and his friends also hack an oil company and a TV station. Dade? Yeah, Mom? What are you doing? I'm taking over a TV network. And they end up in a cyber battle with the movie's villain, a fellow hacker who's created this virus to capsize a bunch of oil tankers. Now, I'd never actually seen the movie myself, but Alexander Varskoy suggested I check it out. I met Alexander in Moscow, and he told me that many aspects of the movie are actually pretty realistic. And in fact, the film Hackers was partly what inspired him to become one. At first, it was just for fun, to prove yourself to your friends in the hacking scene. But later, the political game started, and the cyber world entered a dangerous time. I'm Jeff Semple, the Europe Bureau Chief for Global News, and this is Russia Rising. On this episode, we'll visit the front lines of a growing cyber war, where hackers from Russia, Iran, China, and other countries are now battling for everything, from the password to your online bank account, to control of your city's hydro grid. Consumer Reports has found millions of smart TVs from major manufacturers can be controlled by hackers. We've all heard the scary headlines. A new 60 Minutes report reveals it may be much easier to hack into a personal cell phone than you might think. And that's not all. There are a couple of hackers who've even been able to take over a car remotely while it's driving down the highway. But how concerned should we really be? What do we need to know to protect ourselves online? And why is it that we so often hear headlines and warnings about hackers specifically from Russia? U.S. officials tell CNN the Russian hacks continue around the clock. Well, who better to ask than a guy who used to be one? Nice to meet you. Thank you. Alexander Varskoy is well known in Russia's hacking scene. Or at least he used to be. He's now retired, he says. He agreed to meet me at his Moscow apartment, and somewhat ominously, he told me to bring my laptop so he could, quote, show me something. So does he want to show us? Mm-hmm. 
But before the demonstration, we sit down for an interview. You uh, introduce uh, yourself, uh, please, for us. Uh, my name is Alexander, and uh, hacker's nickname NC, NC for the 22 years. 22 years. Uh, yeah. And why did you start doing it? It was inevitable. My parents ran a business importing and selling computers. And, as a result, I was able to get online before 1995, much earlier than my peers. Alexander grew up in the 90s, and like a lot of Russians, his cyber skills are rooted in history. Science and technology were hugely important to the Soviet Union, dating back to the days of Lenin a century ago. Joseph Stalin launched polytechnic schools to train military engineers. Then came the Cold War with the arms race and the space race. Man had his first great success in space when the Russians pushed a man across the threshold. But after the Soviet Union collapsed, unemployment soared. A recession worse than the Great Depression in the United States meant that jobs for workers with those prized technical skills were suddenly in short supply. Back then, Alexander was a bright, tech-savvy kid. Times were tough, he says. But this was music to his ears. When computers first arrived, they offered a kind of freedom in those hard times. For Alexander's generation, the internet provided an escape, a lifeline, and before long, a way to make money, both legally and illegally. He says he met a group of friends online, and they used to hack companies for fun. When you're 15, it's cool to hack into Microsoft or Vodafone and say hi using your code name. We learned computer programs and codes, and if they were codes with restrictions, the challenge was to find a way to crack those restrictions. At first, it was just for fun, to prove yourself to your friends in the hacker scene. But then, the internet became a marketplace where you could buy and sell things. Web money started around 2002 to 2003, and by that time, a lot of us were pretty experienced. Some of my friends went to work for corporations and cybersecurity firms. Others stayed on the dark side. And the dark side of the cyber world can include using the internet to steal both money and personal information. So Alexander asks to borrow my laptop and shows he hasn't lost his touch. And you can see here web chat for Anonymous. He opens a chat forum from the famous hacktivist group Anonymous and he pulls up an archive of a chat from 2016. Operation Clinton of anonymous members calling for cyber attacks 
on Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign. This is a Fox News alert on this Friday morning. You know that hacker collective known as Anonymous? Anonymous did launch cyber attacks on both Clinton and Donald Trump's presidential campaigns. They have hacked into Donald Trump's personal information. They have posted online one of his cell phone numbers, his social security number. Now, those anonymous cyber attacks didn't really amount to much. Some of Trump's personal information was leaked, and a pro-Clinton campaign website was shut down. But the biggest cyber attack of that presidential campaign... Russia, if you're listening... ...was still to come. I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. This just into CNN, Russian hackers managed to infiltrate the computer network at the Democratic National Committee. The cyber attack on the server of the DNC and Hillary Clinton's emails tops a long list of recent high-profile cyber attacks blamed on Russian hackers. Now, the Kremlin has denied any involvement, but in a 29-page indictment submitted in the summer of 2018, the U.S. Department of Justice detailed how Russian intelligence officers allegedly implanted hundreds of malware files on the Democrats' computer systems to steal information. Well, another U.S. indictment that fall accused Russian agents of hacking anti-doping agencies, including in Canada. Russian intelligence officers are also accused of launching cyber plots in the Netherlands against the world's chemical weapons watchdog. More than 20 of the FBI's most wanted cyber criminals are from Russia. The most of any nationality followed closely by Iraq. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Uh, certainly, uh, Russian-speaking cyber criminals um, are, are a very talented group of people. That's Canadian Nicholas Palmer. He lives in Moscow, and his day job is hunting Russian hackers. We cover many uh, mainly financially motivated uh, attack groups, uh, mainly Russian-speaking groups. Palmer is originally from Nova Scotia and is now the director of international business at Group IB, a private cybersecurity firm based in Russia. Palmer has spent his career preventing and responding to cyber attacks on internet users and businesses around the world. But he says Russian cyber criminals represent his greatest challenge. We've seen them, you know, very easily uh, enter banks' networks, uh, move laterally to different sensitive systems within the banks, and conduct, you know, very highly skilled attacks uh, against uh, theoretically well-protected networks. Palmer gives me a tour of his company's office. There are rows of computers, with mostly young adults in their 20s and 30s furiously typing and clicking away. So actually, uh, you're standing in our CERT room, so this is our computer emergency response team. On the far wall, there's a large projector screen, dubbed the Eye, which shows cyber attacks happening in real time. It's basically a collection of web pages, many of them fakes, trying to get users to click on a link or enter their personal information. 
And I notice one website on the screen that looks familiar. What are we looking at right here? So this is actually a uh, phishing page. So it's a, a page trying to uh, make people believe it's a Royal Bank of Canada page. And actually it's a page that cyber criminals developed to try and steal the uh, username and the password for Royal Bank of Canada customers. Palmer says that Canadians are sent emails that look like they're from the bank, but instead contain this fake but convincing RBC website and others like it, which prompt them to enter their online banking password. And unfortunately, we detect you know thousands of these that are hosted in Russia and Ukraine or other such countries. And uh, this team here, Search GIB, actually works to take down uh, these pages so that uh, Canadian customers don't uh, lose their credentials and money. Cybercrime costs the Canadian economy nearly $5 billion a year, including ransoms that are paid by ordinary Canadians to cyber criminals often in exchange for their stolen personal information. If you look at the, the tools that are developed uh, and used by uh, different offensive uh, groups that are, are trying to do so for, for evil, if you will, uh, a lot of them are developed by Russian-speaking uh, individuals. You know, I've, I've actually thought about this a lot. You know, why is it that the Russian-speaking uh, cyber criminal is, is so much more talented? You know, I think uh, it probably goes back to the history of, of Soviet Union and really investing a lot into, uh, you know, the education of the individuals here, especially within the engineering space. Um, and there's, like I said, a lot of uh, very talented people within the programming space. Um, and unfortunately, sometimes there, there's not always uh, enough uh, viably economic positions, uh, legal economic positions that they, they can acquire uh, here in Russia. Um, so unfortunately, young individuals that have high programming skills with no uh, job opportunities may uh, choose the path of, of quick success for, for dollars. But unlike the painful post-Soviet years, these days, Russia's unemployment rate is at historic lows, and the IT industry actually has a shortage of specialists. Palmer's company works with local universities to try and recruit tech-savvy Russian youth. To show them that there's a lot of really cool opportunities uh, within the uh, cybersecurity space to, to do and use your skills for good. And he also works to educate regular internet users, who he says often seriously underestimate the potential for cyber attacks. Being cyber vigilant is incredibly important. Um, working in this industry has taught me to, you know, always be um, concerned about what I'm putting online, where I'm putting it, what types of passwords do I use? Do I use the same password on more than one uh, site? You know, where do I store this information? Uh, how is it getting out there? You know. At, Canadians should be should be vigilant about uh, what they do. You know, when they access their their bank accounts, ensure that it's you know HTTPS. Um, you know, understanding if it's a legitimate web page or or not. You know, potentially a phishing web page trying to steal um, banking credentials, username and password. Um, you know, understanding uh, these types of things can can ensure that uh, their information doesn't get uh, doesn't get taken and used for uh, for malicious purposes. And financial cybercrime is only part of that equation. Hi, Jeff. To get a sense of the bigger picture, I connected via Skype with Sathamorti Kabbalan, or Cabby for short. He's a leading expert in cybersecurity who's advised the Canadian government, among many others, on how to protect against cyber attacks. When we talk about the threats that are facing Canadians, in, in the cyber world. Um, what generally 
do you see as, as being the biggest ones? One of the things that we need to dive into just before we go into the question of what the biggest threats are is kind of define what that cyber threat looks like. Cabby divides those cyber threats into three key categories, or the three buckets, as he likes to call them. The reason that I'd like to do that is then the threats to whether they're to everyday Canadians or whether they're to businesses or whether to government, they are they kind of shake out out of those three buckets. Cyber threat bucket number one is cyber theft. Oh hell, let's go get the money! Instead of an old-fashioned bank heist, thieves are now using keystrokes instead of guns to steal money, like we just discussed with Nicholas Palmer, and to steal personal data, intellectual property, even state secrets. Remember the time the U.S. government was busted for eavesdropping on its allies? Documents leaked by Edward Snowden show that the NSA may have been spying on Chancellor Angela Merkel. The Canadian government has also been attacked by cyber thieves. The government's largest research organization, the National Research Council, was hacked back in 2014 and had some of its work stolen, allegedly by the Chinese, costing Ottawa hundreds of millions of dollars. There are a number of nation states which are interested in what we do. The secrets that we have, the information around our economy, those sorts of areas. Cabby's cyber threat bucket number two is disinformation, like those Russian internet trolls accused of meddling in election campaigns, for example. Some have referred to it as fake news, but the use of a variety of digital channels, particularly social media, to, if you like, poison our democratic uh, system or poison some of the conversations and drive wedges in society. And Cabby's third and final cyber threat bucket is probably the scariest one, cyber warfare. It involves the kind of doomsday scenarios we often see dramatized in Hollywood movies. I'm doing America a favor. Like Die Hard 4, for example, where hackers try to shut down America's entire computer infrastructure. FAA just issued a critical alert. The entire network went down. Transportation system's crashing and they just hit the entire financial sector. Now, obviously, we haven't seen anything on that scale, which is fortunate since Bruce Willis isn't as young as he used to be. But these cyber warfare attacks do happen. The damage is very real. And one recent example sent a chill around the world. The lights went out for hundreds of thousands of people right before Christmas. A cyber attack on the power grid in Ukraine caused widespread blackouts. Russia appears to have figured out how to crash a power grid with a click. Cabby says that attack traced back to computers in Russia was a wake-up call to officials in Canada. I certainly know that uh, within the Canadian Electricity Association, for example, this is a group, umbrella group, that represents many of the electricity providers in, uh, in Canada, or the industry as a whole. They are very concerned with this area. They have cybersecurity operating groups. Many of those involved in power and utilities do take the cybersecurity threat seriously. So they do take measures and they try to put these measures in place to prevent those sorts of scenarios from evolving. But the biggest cyber attack of them all went far beyond a single country. A major so-called ransomware attack is underway worldwide. The WannaCry virus was a ransomware cyber attack in 2017 
that infected and shut down hundreds of thousands of computers across 150 countries. Security experts say this is one of the worst and most widespread pieces of malware they've ever seen. Causing billions of dollars in damage, knocking out banks, oil companies, even hospitals. A major cyber attack forcing hospitals across the UK to turn away patients. American, Canadian, and British authorities blamed North Korea for that wannacry cyber attack. But perhaps the most important detail of that story isn't who was responsible or even the extent of the damage. It's that the biggest ransomware attack in history started with a single email. It arrived on a Friday morning in the inbox of some unsuspecting computer user somewhere in Europe. The email contained an attachment, a compressed zip file, and in a split-second decision, they opened it. I will say this. The biggest problem with cybersecurity is not the fact that we've got, you know, big firewalls and everything in place and that those get breached all the time. Even with those in place, what they rely on is someone clicking it. Someone clicking a link, someone actually bringing the payload in, someone actually letting them get into the system. Of all the cyber attacks reported last year, more than 90% were avoidable. The WannaCry virus, like the cyber attack on Hillary Clinton's email server, and so many others, caused widespread damage, all because someone received a suspicious email and clicked on it anyway. So the first big thing I would take away from that is, we tend to think about cybersecurity and the need for cybersecurity as buy more firewalls, put more big shiny things in place and we'll be safe. And in actual fact, the human component of it, the social engineering component of it, is just as, if not more important. I would say that it is far easier to get into or break into a system and inject malware or do whatever else you wish by compromising a human being than by directly attacking that system. Okay, spoiler alert. At the end of the movie Hackers, remember the film our Russian friend Alexander recommended, there's a massive cyber battle. The good guys, Dade and his teenage hacker friends, finally defeat the villain, preventing him from capsizing those oil tankers and causing mass destruction. And of course, Dade gets the girl. I can't believe they decided you won. Guys felt it was the only way I'd get a date. But experts say that in the real cyber war, the heroes aren't hackers, but ordinary computer users. That it's up to people like you and me to educate ourselves about the risks online and to think before you click. <laughs> Beat that! For Curious Cast and Global News, this is Russia Rising, an investigative series from me, Jeff Semple, to unravel the mystery of today's Russia. If you liked what you heard, you can help spread the word by rating, reviewing, and subscribing for free now at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and every other app where you get your streaming audio. We can also be found at CuriousCast.ca. Next time, we'll investigate the case of Sergei Skripal, the former Russian spy who was poisoned with a deadly nerve agent in Salisbury, England. Let me tell you uh, this. 
the group, any uh, Russian secret service would never do that without personal authorization from Putin. Never. They just operate in in, in very, very unprofessional way, and we see it all, everywhere. The British government was quick to accuse the Kremlin, and a slew of Western countries, including Canada, responded with sanctions and by kicking out Russian diplomats. We'll cut out the noise and examine the evidence, including what it reveals about Russia's secret intelligence operations. That's next time on Russia Rising. If you have a question or want to know more, follow me on Twitter at JeffSempleGN or email me at RussiaRising at CuriousCast.ca and be sure to check out the show notes for more information about what you heard today. Russia Rising is written and hosted by me, Jeff Semple. Dila Velezquez is our story producer and sound design is by Rob Johnston. Thanks for listening and join us next time for Russia Rising. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.